Thanks, Nimi. So, um, as, she, as she said, today we're finishing our series um, looking at the kingdom of God. And, you know, it was clearly, we all know, it was a central theme of Jesus' teaching. It was a phrase he used a lot, and he explained it through much of the time, through parable and story and, and saying. But it is hard to define exactly what it means. You know, it's not a geographical area, it's not a realm. Um, you know, it's not even a group of people per se, but rather the activity of the king himself. And it's his exercising of sovereign power, of, of his kingship and his rule. And, and kingdom, God's kingdom came with the first coming of Jesus. You know, it's, it's, the kingdom has been inaugurated, so to speak, but it's not yet been consummated, if I can use that phrase, which will be when he returns at the end of history. But that trajectory has been set, but we're yet to reach that kind of final destination. And so as Christians, we find ourselves as citizens in almost two countries. We belong of this age and also the age to come. We live at this intersection between these two advents or comings, so to speak. And so now we find ourselves pursuing this kingdom within this kind of ambiguity. We live in the now, but the not yet, as many of you are familiar. And over the last eight weeks or so, we've been considering how the, the kingdom of God is kind of mysterious. You know, it's often not what people expected. You know, it's messy. It's worked out in the brokenness of normal life. But we also saw how it's relentless, how it pervades and permeates as yeast does dough. And so as we come onto our last uh, week looking at this, we're considering some verses in Matthew 25. And this is almost like the return of Christ is the kind of the future dimension of that kingdom. And in many ways, it's, it's, it's how these citizens, how we get ready to meet the new king when he comes. You see, God made this world. He came to dwell in it. And one day, he'll return at the end of history to wind it all up. And that's the Christian hope, that all of history moves steadily towards that day. And when Jesus does come back, it won't be to suffer like he did, but it will become, he'll come to reign. And as we're about to read here, some of that coming back is, is to settle the future destiny of all peoples, which is heavy, heavy stuff. I'm not going to lie. This was not... Uh, my first choice of, of, of passage to read. Thank you, Naomi and Zach. Um, so I'll read that in a moment. Um, but like we've done every week, we're just going to stand together now. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer. Stand, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together um, just, to, just as a sense of participation. Um, and then I'll, we'll stay standing while I read the passage and then you can sit down. Um, so let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who are Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. We forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In your kingdom, power, and glory are yours. Power and forever. Amen. So I'm just going to read. Matthew 25, starting verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, 
Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Do you want to have a seat? No. Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge that these are really difficult words. Um, but Father, we, we want to choose to understand you this morning. We want to choose to um, see glory in these words this morning. Father, we want to worship you as we tease out what these words mean this morning. And so Holy Spirit, we just open ourselves up to your ministering and your insight and your wisdom and your truth. Father, please speak to us, Lord. We want to be instructed. We want to be convicted. We want to be drawn into worship and adoration of you. Father, we want to be prepared for life now and life forever. So, Father, speak to us now, we pray. Amen. As I say, this is, a, this is a tough read. But if we believe as we do that the, the contents of, of this book are what we believe them to be, that they're inspired from God himself, then we have to wrestle with all of it, you know, not just the, the easy bits or the bits that we like or even the bits that appear unpalatable. So this first part is heavy, I'm afraid. This, unfortunately, doesn't let me away with it. Um, so I have to be faithful to it. But the writer's focus in these verses is not on the rewards and the punishment. Although as human, human beings, that's where we probably get first get drawn into to thinking. The writer's intent is really for us to steadily fixate our eyes on the king. The one... Um, who is one day coming back to be crowned. And it should be something for us to look forward to. And this parable, if I could, it's probably not really a parable, let's call it a parable. Um, in many ways, it brings us face to face with our judge. And there are some 
great and tough realities that it, the passage does underline. It says that the Son of Man will return in glory, that it will be sudden, unexpected and decisive. It also tells us that the Son of Man has already come, that he's already here in disguise, which we'll spend the second half looking at. And it tells us that the Son of Man will judge and that judgment awaits everyone. There'll be no exceptions, no favoritism, no excuses, and it will be totally fair. That he'll gather all before him and he'll separate us one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And hard as this is uh, to hear, we're not we're not all going in the same direction. As dearly as I'd love to say and think in this kind of tolerant and pluralist age, we'll not all end up in the same place. It says we're accountable. We're free to live our life however we like, however we please. But at the end, each of us has to give an account to the one who gave us life. But what this isn't, because I think there's a few different ways that... that, that, Two different groups of people have an issue with this, I mean, other than it being very difficult to read. But you either get the social gospel people who are like, who, you know, who, who, who almost love good works and uh, do all the, you know, love the poor, love the needy, and that's kind of a salvation by works pseudo. And those that are the reformed are like, oh no, but that does sound like salvation by works to me. And it absolutely isn't, shouldn't be read that way. It's not about us being on our best behaviour. What this passage is advocating is that the works of mercy are a validation of a saving faith not the, and the fruit of it, not the cause of it. You know, it says in Isaiah that all our, all our righteousness are like filthy rags. You know, our best efforts cannot save us. It's only by asking God for help, by humbly looking to Jesus, that we find forgiveness and we receive that free gift of righteousness. Our efforts don't determine our destination here, and that's wonderful, wonderful news. But what we do get very, very clearly is a picture of what it looks like um, when you're a disciple of Jesus on that day. You see, right at the very heart of Christianity is a relationship with Jesus himself, and it shows itself in loving, sacrificial care of others, in particularly the poor, the needy, the hungry, and the oppressed. And it tells us that he's come in disguise. Both groups who cared for the needy and those who didn't, those who reject him, are surprised to find that they both were like, when, Lord, when did we see you? We didn't know it was you. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, okay, I've seen an odd um, episode of Undercover Boss, if any of the rest of you have seen that. Um, if you've ever seen it, it's a reality series um, that essentially follows high-level executives who go undercover as entry-level employees in his or her company. And, you know, they alter their appearance, they assume an alias, they come up with a, a cover story for why they've got a film crew following them around. And um, But at the end of... But at the end of their time undercover, the executive kind of reveals themselves to the employees they worked with. The hardworking are rewarded through you know, promotion or pay rise. Others are given improved training because they discover it's necessary. 
Um, maybe they get better working conditions and some are fired. Because you see, it's only by going undercover and assuming a disguise that they get to see what their employees are really like, their character, the values that they live out, how they treat the lowest in the pecking order, so to speak, as opposed to what they're like on their best behavior under the, guy, under the gaze um, of management. And it's almost like God is saying in this passage, he's saying, look, I've gone undercover. And how you treat the poor, the needy, the vulnerable is a proxy for how you treat me. You know, I don't need TV cameras to see your actions. Nothing's hidden from me. I see all. And on that day, all will be disclosed. You see, how we treat the poor is our sentiment towards Jesus. They are one and same. You can't be passionate towards God and be indifferent to the poor. You can't say you love Jesus and bear no compassion for those most needy. How we love the poor is the definition of how we love Jesus. They can't be separated. And in failing to care for them, we fail to care for Jesus himself. Verse 45, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Scottish theologian William Barclay closed his comments on this passage by recounting a story of Martin of Tours, who was a Roman soldier and a Christian. And on one freezing day, it says that a beggar begged him for his arms, which is his uh, And it says Martin had no money, but seeing the man blue with cold, he ripped his soldier's cloak in half and gave one part to the beggar. And it said that that night he had a dream and he saw Jesus in the courts of heaven wearing half a battered cloak. And he, and, and he heard an angel ask, Master, why are you wearing that battered old cloak? Who gave it to you? And Jesus replied, my servant Martin gave it to me. Hebrews 13, it says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for, do, for, for by doing so, People have shown hospitality to angels without knowing. You see, church, when we look at the poor, the unemployed, the neglected, those not coping, we need to radically change who we see. Because it's, it's, Jesus is hiding in plain sight. You know, will, 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 we even, will we recognize him? I find it very hard to keep my heart soft in the busyness of life. Now, no doubt I've, I've shared this before. There's a discipline I find for keeping my heart soft. On my way to work sometimes, I'll, in a non-creepy way, I'll try and look each person in the face as I walk past them. And I, in my heart, I will name them as made in the image of God. And it totally, it totally changes my heart and how I see them because you see the variety and the glory of difference. And behind every pair of eyes, you see a vulnerability and a story and a struggle. And it's impossible not to be a little bit moved when the Holy Spirit helps you rehumanize everybody that you see. Dawson Trotman, who is the founder of The Navigators, which is kind of an interdenominational ministry, um, in, back in the 1930s coined the phrase that emotion is no substitute for action. You see, when it comes to Obeying and following Jesus, it can't just be a momentary feeling or an emotion. Following Jesus is not admiring Jesus. Obeying is not just applauding. 
Being a disciple of Jesus will always demand more from us than just sentimentality. It might begin with a feeling, and great, thankfully the Holy Spirit grabs our emotions as a starting point, but it won't end there. You see, the completing work of the Holy Spirit will always drive us towards love in action. So when we sense that spark of compassion, let's see it as the Holy Spirit getting our attention. Or as the Apostle Paul reminded Timothy when he wrote to him, you know, to fan into flame the gift of God. For the Spirit of God gave us not one of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So when we feel that moment, let's, let's write it down. Grab, grab a friend and say, hold me accountable to acting on this stuff. And there are so many opportunities out there. Like, I know we're really short of volunteers in this place. Get around soul food. Be a cat befriender. Get around the cafe or the clothes bank. You know, how are you using your time, your money, your attention to serve and meet the needs of the poor in our city and this place? And by them, Jesus himself. And of course, there'll be circumstances and seasons of life where our capacity for, with time, our money capacity, or even our attention will be stretched. And that's okay. But let's always be reviewing very soberly the opportunities we have and the choices we're making with those things in terms of our priorities. I know this all does sound a bit heavy, but it's not meant to be burdensome. And you see, guilt is never a tactic God will ever use to motivate us. To enter the kingdom of God is to participate in the activity of God with God himself. And it will always come through opportunity and invitation by grace. It will always come in a response to his goodness to us and a receiving of glory that moves us into action um, by our own free will. Like I said, it's important we recognize the group commended for their acts of mercy in this passage. They didn't do it for the reward. They didn't realize it was Jesus whom they were loving and serving. They acted out of compassion, simply as a reflection of a life transformed. Hearts moved by the power and revelation of God to the mercy they'd received themselves. Their actions were a response to receiving the grace of God, not in order to receive grace. And so they were simply surrendering and obeying the Holy Spirit within them that's already desiring to do those things. And as we finish, we're going to go back to, we go back to Dawson Trotman. You see, in 1956, in Shroon Lake, New York State, he was uh, at a camp with uh, some youth. And one afternoon, whilst riding a boat with a few campers, they hit some choppy water, and he and a female camper fell off, off the boat, and he held her up to keep her from drowning but he died in the process. And Billy Graham spoke at his funeral, and he said of his last act of heroism, Dawes died in the same way as he lived, holding others up. You see, action will always demand a sacrifice. To sacrifice is to lose something. Martin gave up half his cloak. Trotman gave up his life. Jesus, too, offered his life up for all of us that we might be with him now and for eternity. And Jesus, in the, Jesus says, in the faces of the poor and the needy, we find him disguised. 
And so if we're going to love well, if we're going to live compassionately, it will demand our time, our money, our attention, our priorities, our convenience. But in losing them, we will gain something infinitely greater. Being welcomed in by the king on that day with those very same words from verse 34. And I'll finish with it. He'll say to us, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The band are just going to come up and I'll pray. That's cool. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. We thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for the messiness of it. We thank you for the promise of it. And Father, we are sorry where we've got your kingdom wrong, Lord, where we've neglected the full consequence of following you, Lord, where we've neglected the poor and the needy, Father, where we've failed to recognize you in them. And Father, we just want to repent. We're not ask for your forgiveness, Lord, and we want to commit ourselves, Lord, and say we want to follow you more clearly, more devotedly, more passionately. Father, we want to be more, we want to be more moved by need. We want our hearts to be moved by your spirit. We want to be open to obeying you, Lord. And so, Father, we just remember who you are. We thank you that you died for us. You gave us an opportunity to be with you forever that we have no claim to by our own merit. Lord, we, we, we're sorry where we take your mercy for granted, but we're so grateful that you love us, that you're a good, good God, that your justice is absolute, that you are fair, that you desire all come to know you. And Father, we want to participate in your kingdom, in that mission, in this city and in our nation. So Father, we worship you. We say we love you, even though we don't understand you fully. That you are worthy of our attention, our money, our affections, our priorities. Amen.